Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are in the midst here of the 12th chapter of, of the book of Romans, and we're in the midst of small little bits of instruction about how the Christian life is supposed to be. How it is that as we're in Christ, as we've been justified and brought into his family with the great hope given to us of eternal life, that how we're supposed to live now. How, how are we supposed to engage life now as Christians? And some of that involves handling slings and arrows. Now, you might think, if you live down by the river there, that maybe you have slings and arrows that you're using anyway, in the literal sense of the things to do. More of this has to do with Hamlet, as far as thinking through uh, the famous line from Hamlet, to be or not to be, uh, whether to kill oneself or not, is what Hamlet's thinking about, whether to end it, uh, because it's so bad. The slings and arrows of outrageous fortune uh, are too much, even to take up arms against, right? The, the world's tough. It's a hard place. People get depressed. They get overcome. Does that happen to Christians as well? And the truth is, yes. Of course it does. But Christians, we have, we have some blessings that the world doesn't have. We have some tools, as it were, that the world doesn't have. We have a few clubs in our bag, for golf, if that's your thing, that we have that the, the other folks in the world don't have. And that's particularly the Lord Jesus Christ. The promises of God are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. And that, Christian, is your life, that is your heart. And as we deal with slings and arrows, we deal with them as Christians. And that's a different way ahead. It still hurts. Things are still difficult. But we have a hope that drives us and gives us, by God's grace, power. Now, in Hamlet's mouth, the slings and arrows, the difficulties of life, the problems that are ensuing, um, which are for him are a big deal, for sure, but they are slings and, outrage- slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Well, we don't believe in fortune, do we? We don't believe there's some other entity or some other force that drives and runs the world other than the true and living God, who is sovereign over all of it, who has decreed the end from the beginning. We don't believe in slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. We believe in slings and arrows of providence. It is God who has put these things into our lives, both good and bad, both pleasurable and difficult. It is God who's done this. So the slings and arrows, the troubles, are troubles that come from where? Ultimately from God, your Heavenly Father. Your Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, has so decreed the trials and the difficulties and the struggles in your life They're His gift to you. Faith can receive that. Say, okay, God, this is tough. It's a tough road to go. But you've given me what I need. Yourself. You've communicated your very self to me in the incarnation, the life and death of Jesus Christ. And you've redeemed me and given me hope. And that's the way God grows us up, builds us up as we trust in Him and His promises. So we have here, not slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, not even slings and arrows of outrageous providence, although we might say that, but of our Heavenly Father. And God's not easy to figure out. The way He does things, the way He works things out in our lives, we don't quite have the key, exactly. The little roadmap key to figure out, oh, all these difficulties. But we can trust God that He knows exactly what He's doing in your life, in your struggles, in your trials, in your depression, in your anger, and all the things that kind of get worked up into this. God has your good and your salvation 
in mind, in all of it. That's where we're going as Jesus Christ's followers, as those who are in him. It's trusting the promises of God while we sort through and work through the things of life together. So there are five parts about this providence that comes to us, the slings and arrows. And I think they all have to do with banding together and serving the Lord in hope. Serving the Lord according to his promises. And so let's look first at, looking at verse 12. It says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. We'll try to get to those five things this morning or into this afternoon or tomorrow, as the case may be. First, rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope. Now, this is a wonderful phrase. Uh, I like the phrase, I like the word rejoicing anyway, as a, as a reality of the Christian life. And I think of Paul saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I tell you, rejoice. This is, this is what Christianity is. Is rejoicing in, in the living and the true God because our sins are forgiven. Because we have eternal life. And God will get us there. Because no one's strong enough to take us out of his hand. That's, that's the substance, I think, of the rejoicing in hope, is rejoicing in the great gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity is helplessly, that's the right word, hopelessly, possibly, certainly is a good word, eschatological. Christianity is absolutely eschatological. Christianity is an eschatology. Right? It's, a, it's, an, it's a, an actuated, started eschatology in the person of Jesus Christ himself, in his death and resurrection, but in the world that he's transforming and will finally bring about. In the resurrection, we'll have a new heavens and a new earth, not entirely dissimilar from this one, but without sin and without the struggles of, of the curse of sin. We read that back in, remember in that wonderful and amazing chapter, chapter 8 of Romans, that even the very creation itself cries out, waiting for our redemption. How much more should we be crying out Awaiting our redemption. To get rid of this flesh. To get rid of this sin nature. And to be able to serve the Lord in freedom. And in glory. And that's of course what Christ has brought about. Not just the forgiveness of our sins. Not just the redemption and reconciliation with God. But a whole new resurrected life in that redemption. In our reconciliation to God our Heavenly Father through Christ Jesus. Okay, that is Christianity. There's no Christianity apart from that eschatological hope. It's built into what Christianity is. That's important for us because I think it gives us a distinct message in our culture. Eschatology, or maybe a, a different word, teleology, thinking of the end of things, what the purpose of things would be, it's not very popular. The now is. Maybe you get some Marxist eschatology of trying to you know, generate utopia on earth or something like that, which is an eschatology built into that system. But by and large, people don't think in terms of eschatology. They don't think in terms of hoping right now in what is to come. But Christianity is built on that. We hope right now in what Christ has done and what he's going to do. We trust in what he's done. It's been done. We hope for what he's going to do. And we stand in the middle rejoicing in it. Rejoicing in it. And I think that by itself is a Christian apologetic. To rejoice in hope in the future not because humans are getting it figured out and we're all so good. We're not right bad anyway. And like Joel Osteen says, 99.9% of us are really good people anyway. And on and on. That's not it. All those are lies. The reason we can hope in the future is because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, seated at his Father's right hand saying, I'm going to come back and make it all right. 
And we say, even so, come Lord Jesus. We have hope. That's, that's something Christ gives us. The world doesn't have hope. Now listen, Christian. If you look around this world hopelessly, if you look at your own life, or the life of the church hopelessly, you're looking at the world, yourself, and the church in a sub-Christian way, in an unfaithful way. God has given us hope, and we must thrive in it, rejoice in that hope. And insofar as we're not Christian, insofar as your heart isn't engaged day by day with the excitement of the hope of the, that's laid up in you of what Jesus Christ is doing and is going to continue to do until it's finished, then you need to repent of that and seek joy from the Lord. Seek the joy of hope from the Lord, that you can walk in that joyful hope. Not with your head down like the world, no hope there, just a bunch of depression. Maybe get high and stave it off for a little while, but man, it's all going to hell in the handbasket. That's not the Christian view of heaven and earth. We understand the earth, that does say that the world, the way things are made, is going to be destroyed, and the worldly, uh, the worldly uh, connections and opposition to Jesus Christ and his kingdom will all be destroyed and brought into what God is doing in Christ Jesus. But that's where we're going. We must rejoice in that hope. Another thing that this teaches us is there's no, there's no Bruce Springsteen in Christianity. There's no glory days, Christianity, sitting around talking about the way things were back then. Those are the good old days, and you know now it's not anymore. We just sit around drinking and talking about it. That's the Bruce Springsteen glory days version. That's not it. The, the glory days are to come. They're ahead of us. They're not behind us. They're ahead of us. And that's, that's a weird one, both historically in the kind of general context of the church and history, but even in our own lives, it's a challenge. Because many of you, and maybe if you're like me, you look back at other times in your, in your life where they kind of were glory days. There were, there were times of great excitement and energy in the Spirit, and God was doing things, and, and sometimes it seems like right now it's not that way. Like it's a little more ho-hum. Or it's a little more mundane. It's just kind of the daily thing we do. And in that sense, it's probably not dissimilar from our marriages or other relationships. Uh, there's, there's ways in which we need to remember what's going on in our marriage, say, just remembering who my wife is and what an enormous value and blessing she is for me and be excited about that again. Well, the same thing goes here. As we do that, we say we, we need to rejoice in hope. We need to look forward in doing this because the work of Jesus has begun in us and he will finish it. He who has begun the good work will bring it to completion. And there's our hope. Our better days are ahead. Now, that might not be on this earth. Right? We may struggle and struggle and die. But in that death, we move off into a realm where it's absolutely our hopes are being fulfilled. And even then, awaiting the new heavens and new earth. In other words, if we shuffle off this mortal coil today, we're still awaiting the resurrection. There's still hope currently in heaven of what God's going to do yet. So this, this hope is, is such a powerful force in Christianity, and it draws us forward. It impacts us right now that we should rejoice and move forward in our Christian lives together. So, we fortify a Christian. We fortify ourselves with hope. It is our strength. Our, our rejoicing, our joy, is our strength as we look forward to what God is doing and what He will complete through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, the first thing is rejoicing in hope. But very much related to it is the second one, which is being patient 
in tribulation. Patient in tribulation. Well, part of the way we are patient, where we can suffer long under tribulations, is our hope. This isn't the end of it. Right? This, this struggle, this trial, this darkness that we have isn't the end of this story. It ends with brightness. It ends with redemption. It ends with Jesus Christ and His body. Every elect member of His church finally redeemed. And so that's, that hope for us is part of the, the gas in the tank of our patience. Right? As, as we can endure and suffer through tribulation. And again, these, these tribulations, the things that come into our lives that are struggles, are not happening by accident. Then it's not some force of fate that's putting these things into our lives. It is our Heavenly Father. It's God Himself in His providence who's ordained everything that comes to pass, including the struggles and trials of your life. Including the heartbreaks of your lives. The things that you can't think about without melting down in tears because it hurts so much. That's given to you by your Heavenly Father. It's all His providence. And He says, be patient through it. (laughs) Learn patience through tribulation. I want you to think just for a moment of the amount of patience our Lord Jesus Christ has and had. Think about what it is to be the eternal Son of God. Figure that one out. And to be incarnated as a human, to live a bunch of of fallen, selfish humans, sinful humans, how much patience it took for Jesus Christ just to deal with us, just to engage with us. He's full of patience. And Christian, that's the very source of our patience as well. We look to the patient one. The one who in his patience won our salvation. The one who is, again, a greater Savior than we are sinners. So as we rejoice in our hope and look forward, it allows us to be patient and suffer long in the tribulations that are in our lives now. Now you might say, Pastor, I don't want to suffer long. I'd rather suffer short. Good enough. Me too. But we don't decide those things. We, we suffer as God makes us to suffer. We deal with the tribulations. We deal with the struggles and the trials. Insofar as God gives it to us to do that. And we are to suffer long, as long as He would have us suffer. And of course, all of life isn't suffering. We just got done saying, rejoice in hope. But at the same time, we're rejoicing in where God's taking us. We also struggle right now. So, Christian, that's part of the Christian life. God's, God's not, it's not an accident. God said, well, I wish these Christians had great lives, but it turns out because of sin, I can't quite do that yet. That's not it. God has purposefully put these things into our lives to grow us up, to build us up, that we should be more like Christ Jesus, the patient one who redeems us from all of our sins. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in long-suffering and tribulation. And thirdly, constant in prayer. Constant in prayer. Well, if God's the one who is in charge of all the stuff in our lives, including the tribulations, including the difficulties, also including the good things and the, the joys, but if we take the ones that are painful, if He's the one who is really dialing all this in for us, then where better to go than to God Himself? Where better to go than the true and the living God. And now listen to this. We have access to God, eternal God, through the mediator, Jesus Christ. We don't just have unfettered access to God, like, like we were kind of praying before, barging into the throne room of heaven and saying, hey, like you know, cool man tearing through the wall or something like that up in heaven. That's not it. 
Right? We have a way to go to heaven that's through Jesus Christ Himself. We have a mediator. Right? So the, the constancy in prayer then is walking day by day, Christian, walking day by day in communion with your God. He is the one who's ordained all these things that come to pass. He is the one who's brought it to you as your Heavenly Father. And He calls you then as a child to say, Come, work through it with me. Now, your parents, wouldn't you like that more and more if, if your, your children, especially your older children, would come and say, Hey, i got this problem. I'm sorting through it. I'm thinking through it. What do you think I do, should do here? How do you think I should address this? That's a joy to a parent's heart to see their children struggling in wisdom and coming to sources of wisdom in their life, particularly their parents, to, to seek it. It's a little bit like that with God as well. He is the source of wisdom. He is the one in whom all of our blessings are. And so as we rejoice in hope, as we're patient in tribulation, so we're to be constant in prayer. Constantly in communion with our God. Now that doesn't mean that you're like, you know, praying the rosary all the time, or that your mind is, I think, directly involved in particular focused prayer. I think you have to focus to pray that way. But it does mean that every step along the way throughout the day is in communion with God. There's never a point in the day that you're not communing with your Heavenly Father through the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, one God eternally blessed. And our hope and our strength is all in Him. In fact, the entirety of the Christian life really is communion with God. Walking with God. God saying, I'm going to make my place among my people. I'll be with them, and they'll be with me. That's the great promise of the whole Scripture, is that God would dwell in the midst of His people and enjoy fellowship with them, despite the fact that they're wicked and debased, and in no way to have fellowship with the Holy. Yet God's overcome all of that in Christ Jesus. He says, now, now that I've bridged this thing and made communion with you, come and have communion with me. Come and have communion with me. I just read a book, I think it's called You Are Special, uh, by Max Lucado, the kid's book, I read it last night, first time. And it's, it's, a, it's a little story about these wooden people that run around, and, and, uh, and, and Eli, the name of the maker, who made all these little wooden guys that run around. And it's, it's, a, it's kind of a parable about going to God, listening to his love for us, and not letting the judgments of the world and other people stick to us, but trusting the love of God. Good little story. A good little story. And I think that's the idea here, though. He says, hey, come every day. You know, the, the, the admonition of, uh, of Eli to the well, wooden guy. Come every day. Come and hear about my love for you every day, and more and more you'll believe it. And more and more these you know, judgments of the world will fall away. You won't, it won't matter about the world. You'll care about my love. Good enough. Christian, do it more than once a day. Certainly there should be a time where you stop everything else, and you come to the Lord. Right? There, there are those times. But there are also times when you're still going that you're coming before the Lord. Right? That you're just going through the day in communion with God. And it's not, again, that we get to just like be our little selves and have communion with the Almighty. It's through the work of Jesus Christ. It's through the mediator that we have this access to God. So, Christian, use it. Be in communion. Walk in communion. If you don't know how to do it, ask God to teach you. Ask God to teach you how to do it. To walk in communion with Him day by day, hour by hour, even minute by minute. God, indeed, is our refuge. An ever-present strength to those who struggle. We already know we struggle. That's in the text here. Because we're supposed to be patient in our tribulations. Walking in communion with God as our friend is the point. God has made us his friends. And so we can walk in communion with God. Of course, he's the Almighty. 
we are redeemed sinners, but he's made us friends in Christ Jesus. Therefore, walk in that friendship. Walk in that communion with God day by day and hour by hour. So we have rejoicing in hope, being patient in tribulation, being constant in prayer, and contributing to the saints. Now this may seem like, in the first case, where maybe if we're doing it together, we can talk about our hope and rejoicing, our rejoicing in hope. We can, we can talk and, and, and be patient in tribulation together, for sure. We can shoulder each other's burdens and help each other through tribulation and be patient that way. Uh, we can pray together. We can all do it together. But here's one that's specifically toward other people. Right, the other people in the body of Christ, contributing toward the saints. Are we really in this together? Now, we might think it's take your family, your nuclear family, your husband, wife, kids, and whatever, the, the family there, where if, if one struggles and there's a need for one, the other is quite naturally come around to help if things are going normally, if things are going well. Uh, they'd come around to help and, and, and fill the need, right, and, uh, and, and, and stabilize them. The same thing goes really in the body of Christ. Are we in this together? It says contributing to the saints. And that puts it right where it hurts. In the wallet. In our time. In our energy. God calls us to contribute to the saints. Well, we know from the New Testament there's much contributing. There's monetary contributing going on. Paul's going around church by church picking up those contributions. Why? To take where? To take back to Jerusalem, to take it to back to the Jerusalem church that's having a hard time, and a famine, and, and then and poverty. And he says, good, the, the, the Gentile saints are going to supply the needs of the Jerusalem church. And that's, that's a gift that's going to bind the churches together, this contributing of the saints. Well, we contribute here in the first place. Right? This is the place of contribution, and that comes in tithes and offerings. Um, we, uh, we, we have that. We have a tithe box here, which is kind of an interesting way, particularly within the Reformed tradition, I think, of of dealing with tithes and offerings as an ordinary part of worship, which it is, but it's kind of not because it's in a box. But that's our own little deal. Maybe we'll, we'll sort that out. But that's the idea. If you come and you give, that's part of your worship and part of the corporate worship. Uh, I remember as a kid, they'd, they'd walk forward, and most, most congregations have the deacons or somebody you know, handling the, the tithes and offerings. And we'd sing, We give thee but thine own. You know the song? Whatever that gift may be. All that we have is thine alone. I'll trust, O Lord, from thee. That's the congregation saying, here's our offering. Here it is, God. And you might say, well, I didn't give anything. And you might say, well, I gave $1,000. But here we are all giving it together as the work of the body, the, the, the corporate work to worship God in our ties and our offerings together. That's part of worship as well as just our regular daily life that we contribute to the saints. And it's not just money, though that's, that's one of the major contributing issues, but also our energy and our, our time. That we're invested into each other. We're invested in the body of Christ. Your issues are mine. I take them seriously. My issues are yours. You take them seriously. And if we need help, we know how to reach out. Not first to the state, not first to some nameless organization that will give us things, but really first to the body of Christ, to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. For we know Jesus Christ himself taught, it's better to give than to receive. It's better. To give for you is better than even to receive. And we might think, well, hang on, receiving something is pretty good. That's kind of nice when you need it, especially when you need it. Even better to give when it's needed. So I say to you in the same way that Scripture writers say, you're good here, but you can always get better. You're a generous congregation. 
But you can always be more generous. You can look for the needs that are there and not, not just respond to what pops up, but look for them. Help each other out and, and, and to seek help when it's needed. Not be, um, not be prideful or, or vain. And I don't really need help. I can figure this thing out. If you need help, seek it. Uh, there's contributions to the saints. We're in this thing together. And we, in this sense, are the hands and the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ to give. For our God is so giving, He's so gracious, He's so kind, He sends even the rain on the just and the unjust. That's the way God gives. Now, those gifts to the ungodly will be counted against them in the end, to be sure. But in the meantime, they're just free mercies from God. And we operate, I think, as Christians in the same way. Um, we don't want to give and you know, contribute monetarily or contribute work when it hurts people. I think that's the idea. But we want to be generous so that we can help people. Christ's people have always been a generous people, contributing to the needs of the saints. And here, the last one, showing hospitality. Now, it's one thing if we just took like the, the offering uh, that, uh, that runs through the church and, and things that are needed. The church is able to reach out and, and help, and the deacons able to supply needs and things like this. That's one thing. But it's quite another thing, hospitality, because to give and make sure that contribution is given, or even if I see a need in a family's life and I can say, I can step in there and help you out, whether with money or time or energy or, or things like that, that's great. But bringing someone into your own home, bringing someone into your own life to share it with them is what hospitality really is. Sharing your heart, sharing your life with those who are around you, and in particular, those in the body. Connecting with each other and, and, and sharing each other's lives, that's an issue of hospitality, extending ourselves out and giving ourselves to others but not just within the body, beyond the body. Right? That we would be hospitable to those who come across our paths, that aren't Christians at all, that don't know the Lord Jesus, in order that through our hospitality and kindness, they might get to know the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, our giving, our, our contributing realities in the church, and our hospitality even in our own homes, is certainly partly evangelistic. It's part of the life of the body, building each other up and, and serving one another and, and, and building that love in the body of Christ. But it's also a message to those who are outside. Who are these generous Christians? Saved through the years. Why do they keep picking up these babies we're discarding? What kind of hospitality is that? Why do they keep bringing us in, even though, as we get down to the end of the chapter, I'd rather persecute them, yet they're being kind to me. I'd rather see them dead, yet they're helping me live. This is the kind of hospitality... Christians have because, Christian, we know what we've been redeemed from. We know what we've been redeemed from. The just wrath of God upon us for all of our wickedness. Which is the first step in being a Christian to say, I'm wicked. He is holy. We know that. We know the kind of grace that God has given us. And Christian, let that melt your heart in thankfulness to God to love those around you, and to give away what you have, to be hospitable, to open yourself up and give away. Of course you're going to get used in that. Put it down. Of course someone's going to step on your toes and do it wrong. You bet. But this generosity is something that God has given us because He is generous. Think for just a moment about the generosity of God who has made everything and given us everything that we need for life. And what's more, has sent his own son to redeem not just those who are, you know, kind of off color or a little bit messed up, those who are royally messed up and in opposition to him. 
He overcomes that with his love and his generosity. And then he brings us into that and says, Now, you go overcome with your love and your generosity. Not that you can change the heart, for you can't. But God does, and God can. And he calls us to this kind of faithful uh, contributing on the one hand, but also bringing people in and hospitality on the other. This is the way we show Christ and share him along the way. We bring people into our lives. We, we love them with the love that's been given us in Christ Jesus. We teach them to obey all the things that Jesus Christ has taught us to obey. And God opens the heart along the way. God makes disciples as we present ourselves as faithful to his commands, rejoicing in hope. Like it's, no, it's, it's no good to get a bunch of people and bring them into our like, dour like, you know, depression club. Like, Come on in here and feel bad with us. No, no. Come on in here and rejoice in hope with us. Not because we're so awesome, but because Christ is. God has overcome this in the Lord Jesus Christ. Being patient in tribulation. Every person has tribulations in their life. Every person has trials. The way we handle those as Christians communicates. The way we handle those tribulations with patience as Christians communicates. And if we do it right and faithfully, God communicates his gospel through that. It's the saving power of God in us that gives us this hope that is the the driving point of our lives. Being constant in prayer, Christian. Walking with the Lord. Seeking the Lord day by day. Minute by minute and hour by hour as we're going through our day, walking and communing with, with our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in that, that our hearts would be full of generosity, contributing to the saints, loving one another, making sure that we're taken care of as the saints, but also showing hospitality, opening ourselves, opening our homes, opening our lives, and welcoming people in. So as the slings and the arrows of God's faithful providence come into our lives, as we struggle and work our way through these, these difficulties, we know that, again, it is God who has put them in our lives. There's a mystery of providence. We don't know why God does what he does and how he organizes things the way he organizes things. But we know he has his purposes. We know they're good. We know they're solid and wise. And we can trust him. Therefore, we can rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation, constant in prayer and walking with him, and then open our lives and open our hearts in our contributing and in our hospitality looking to Jesus as not just the example of all these things, like we were talking about in Education Hour, though he certainly is, but as the very source of our salvation, the very source for us of the grace of God in the broken body, in the shed blood of the one who came and gave himself for us all the way to death, the cursed death of the cross, that our Heavenly Father should raise them up with power as an announcement to the entire creation that the Son of God has come. He was crucified He was buried. He rose again on the third day. That is the story. That's what we come to proclaim. The crown rights of King Jesus, who is now at his Father's right hand, pouring out his Spirit upon his church, building his kingdom, and he will return to bring it all together and amaze us all the way to our back molars at what he is going to do in his grace and his power. That's the living hope we have, Christians. Let us rejoice in it. Let us be patient. Let us be in communion with our God and generous with one another as we walk through this together. Amen.